Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Also, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. If you're looking for what's going on in the auction marketplace, looking to see what auction inventories are and what, what upcoming auctions look like, also being able to see trend lines develop, check out Tractor Zoom's Iron Comps. And you're going to get a a a good feel for what's going on out there. So if you're interested in that product, check that out. And at checkout, use Moving Iron, and you get yourself a discount. Sean is nice enough to come on once a week to sit down and talk with me about what's going on in the in the commodity markets. And Sean, since we talked last, we've had uh, some pretty significant things happen. We've had a brutal uh, cold spell come through, uh, which you talked about months in advance about what was going on there. You also uh, talked about. Um, kind of what we saw happening with with the same situation coming up in the Black Sea region. So, um, you know, wheat's a big deal right now. A lot of people have their eye on wheat just because of all of the potential that we see with uh, winter kill that's going to be there. And, you know, quite frankly, as cold as it got for as long as it got for as far south as it got cold, I can't imagine that there's not going to be some damage to wheat. So let's just start there and talk about what's going on in the wheat market. Well, last Friday... Uh, it was widely believed, uh, at least most of the uh, high-profile weather forecasters predicted that we would have sufficient snowfall to protect winter wheat. Um, that was the thinking on Friday. And I warned, you know, we've been watching weather our whole life, and, and one of the things that we know for sure is absolutely the worst uh, correlation is the ability to predict snowfall in terms of where and how much. It just, no one can do it. No one can do it. So we we warned that, uh, we wouldn't read too much into those forecasts that, you know, we would, we thought there was a good chance that that could come up short on Sunday. Cause Sunday was, it was a snow event. It was going to cut snow and p- provide protective layer of, of um, insulation. That would be the day. And it came up short. So like the key state of Kansas, for example, three quarters of the state received less than an inch of snow. Uh, and they were supposed to receive three to five. And that meant that, we were dealing with minus 15 to minus 25 across most of Kansas in the, you know, that's the core winter wheat belt, including parts of Western Oklahoma, another core winter wheat belt. And, um, and so, so that meant that winter kill uh, was major event on Sunday night. And then of course, an additional event on Monday night and the protective snow cover. Now the market reacted 
on Tuesday, pretty solidly. Um, and of course, it gave some of it back. And that's not unusual. When you're dealing with weather markets, there's a lot of short-term traders that come in, look at what's called scalp trade, come in and get out. And, and so you, it, we is notorious for doing these kinds of zigzags, but we don't believe that that is anything to read into other than that's the way short-term trading is. But this is a major event. We believe the market will dig its heels in here now. And then looking over the horizon next week, it looks like Russia, Southern Russia, especially where there's no snowfall on the ground. And it's been, it's pretty warm actually right now is heading for a, a significant, significant severe cold spat that we think could offer a the second round of winter kill for the Southern region of Russia. And remember as of the 15th, those taxes, uh, those export taxes are in place now. So all that wheat that was being shoved into the market ahead of that to try to beat the taxes is over. So, you know, it looks like to us, you know, winter wheat continues to be a place where we're looking for upside price volatility here versus downside. And uh, short-term trading is what it is, but, you know, this is uh, going to continue to mean upward price trajectory. And, you know, we're calling for a hot, dry spring for both Russia and the U.S. And so we just think that's a place that we would be looking for leadership uh, in the grain markets is that Casey winter wheat market right now. Yeah, and then we have this other cold snap that's supposed to come back through the southern plains and, and kind of stretch across to the to the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and it's supposed to be very similar to what we saw this this uh, past week here. So even in some of those southern plain um, wheat growing areas, you could have another shot of this of this cold air come through. It won't be as severe. It's not going to be as extreme. I mean, we're dealing with 150 year broken records. It won't be, it's not going to be that cold. And it does look like there could be some snowfall attached to it. So uh, we're not thinking that the market will view that in the same light as I, as they looked at this one. We would think the Russian winter kills is going to be more of a market mover event. I mean, that looks really bad to us next week, Casey. I mean, like really, really bad. Um, we're not, we're not really, we're not thinking this one, the second round. I mean, there could be what we call spotty winter kill, but probably nothing, not enough to move the market in a major way, at least on that event, we don't yep. think. Yep. So. Right on. Okay, so let's jump over. Let's take a look at some energy markets right now. So energy got a got a good place at the table here uh, over the week because uh, Texas, uh, for as energy-rich as that state is, there is a, there's been, um, well, what's the best way to put this? Green energy showed up and failed, all right? So it... it the windmills that, that they use to generate electricity in um, in Texas, and we got them in Kansas, we got them in Nebraska, we got them all over the place. Uh, they shut those down because of, of ice and everything else that were, that were on there. And anyone that's watched the news can realize that about 25% of, of Texas's uh, energy comes from, from windmills that shut down. So they had this rolling blackout situation in the middle of uh, pretty epic cold. So... Um, I guess, Sean, as you take a look at what's going on in the energy market, what you see with natural gas and, and those, what kind of effect do you see those playing on the commodity market now that we've realized that, I'm not going to say that windmills are bad because, you know, they've got a place, but, I mean, I guess as you take start taking a look at those things, as a natural gas, a propane, those kind of things start to, start to have more of a draw here, and we start looking at the propane and natural gas needs for drying down crops after harvest and, and getting those those uh, fuels to the areas they need to get to, kind of what's your thought there and how the, how do you think that's going to interact with what's going on in the commodity marketplace? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if it was last week or the week before we talked about natural gas and propane right. and how we would really be looking to hedge our long-term needs heading into the next winter. This is a great 
we call this the great trailer. Like if you're watching a movie and you watch the trailer of the movie right. before you watch the main show, this is a great trailer to the main show that's coming next winter, meaning it's not going to be long enough to have a long-term impact on things, but it sure was a one heck of a, of a, of a, of a precursor or a, a highlight of what next winter is going to look like. when we have months of this kind of weather, meaning that one week, and society's breaking down in some of these states because of the ins- the unreliability of alternative energy power and have n- and, and apparently no one ever thought it would ever get cold again in Texas and so they had no backup plan they didn't have that 6 months of coal lying in a storage that they could they could switch on to, to the power during extreme uh times to keep the power going apparently no one ever thought that maybe they needed to have a backup just in case i mean they had to know that windmills won't run when it's that cold they just won't run i mean they they had to know that you would think so so i i guess what i'm getting at is that that and if you look at the pro the price of propane has been soaring on just one week's of cold weather you know just one week cold weather um it's just telling you how fragile our energy system is how fragile our uh Electric grid, even in Iowa, they're having rolling blackouts yeah. because so much of their power is coming from wind. Had in Kansas, we had it here in yeah. Scotts Bluff, we had so the same deal. You just have to wonder how is it possible that you would never think you're going to ever have a cold snap again? I mean, it, 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 one the fact that we can't handle a one week cold spell like this, and it, it's really a scary thing. We've been talking about this for years, actually. Yeah, we're going down this path that we know not what we're doing, and that. Um, when the when the push comes to shove and we get a really severe winter, which is the winter that's coming up next, I mean, the humanitarian consequences. Forget the price of natural gas and propane and energy and all that sort of thing, which is going to go through the roof, obviously. But the humanitarian consequences of you know people freezing to death, right? Um, you know the elderly freezing to death. Um, so for you know one of the consequences as an as an aside, you know so many of the dairy processors in Texas because they lost power. You know, and they couldn't run their prices, had to dump all this milk on the ground. Not that that's going to impact the price of milk because it's not going to last long enough. But, but what I'm getting, what if there's two months right. that these milk processors can't produce milk? What does that mean to yep. the dairy prices? I mean, it's the, 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 the implications are so far and wide, Casey. And, then, and yet we have, you know, we have the current administration, you know, doing what they're doing to promote what they're doing. I, I just really worry that no one has really thought this through carefully. And next winter, I'm really, really worried that, you know, we're going to see what we've just seen, but see it in, in a manner that is, is beyond belief. And our hope has always been nothing in the United States ever happens without a crisis. That's just, we're in a crisis society. Right. Um, and even though this was bad, we don't believe this is enough of a crisis to effectuate major change. It'll come and go. It was short term. And we'll say, well, that'll not happen again. But next year, is going to be so severe and so long lasting that we think that could be finally the catalyst for change and to change the narrative of how do we really go about providing secure power to our country. Um, and of course it's a midterm elections next year in 22. And so that could be a really interesting discussion after that kind of a winter. And after all kind of the problems that have happened, I think it'll be very hard for the politicians to defend um, the end of fossil fuels forever. I think that'll be a harder position to defend going into midterm elections. So lots going on. And, you know, we're not negative, but we're, 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 we're just stating what, what we've been stating for a while. But we do think next winter might be the catalyst for change, that the pendulum might swing to, okay, wind's okay, you know, uh, solar's okay, but you better have a backup 
plan to them. And that's the real key is it's okay to do that, but make sure you have coal lying in the background to turn on when you need it, because that's the only reliable power in this kind of weather is, is coal. And of course, if you have a, happen to have a nuclear power plant, but you can't build those overnight, those are years in the making, but coal, you can do it right away. And that's yeah. really, to me, would be the strategy. If I'm thinking out loud as a, as a, as a governor of a state of Texas or as the president of the United States, if I'm really thinking out loud, I'm thinking, how do we get coal as a backup plan during times of intense need for, for, for heating demand? That's what I'd be thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I heard someone on, on the news the other day. I can't remember what channel I was watching. I don't remember who the person was either, but they said the answer to, to the, to the rolling blackout situation in Texas was more wind, more, more windmills. If they had more windmills, then they would, they'd be, they'd be right away. I'm like, the windmills are the reason you're in the situation that you're in. <laughs> so it made me well, laugh. It's, 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 it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like uh, printing money and borrowing money, right? We've been right. doing this in our country for yeah. forty years, and 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 of course, in the long run, it doesn't it doesn't really work. Right. Um, it, all it does is create greater debts and greater uh, inflation, but yep. it doesn't really actually improve anyone's lot in life unless you happen to be part of that half of one percent. Right. Um, uh, so, but but of course the solution is well we just need to print more and borrow more and it'll work this time. Yeah, uh, that just seems to be how. Uh, and it's, so by the way, it's not it, it's global governments that are in this mode. Well, it didn't work, but if, it it will work if we just double down on it. Right. And so it, what you're saying is it, you know we'll just double down on it because it'll work next time. Blood on black twenty three and it'll work this time. I promise. <laughs> 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 Sounds like a really reliable plan to me. I'm, tell me how do I sign up? Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. All right, so let's take a look at, at what's going on in some of these other marketplaces. You take a look at see what's happening in corn. Corn has been, you know, there's been a lot of uh, clamoring there. China keeps buying a lot of corn from us, not not just corn, but also ethanol too. And so you're seeing some some moves in the in the corn market. We, it feels like we've hit a point of, of pretty major resistance in a lot of these markets, whether it's soybeans, corn, wheat, wherever it's at. They're waiting for that next shoe to drop to see what decision they're going to make because we're seeing these interday volatilities where, I mean, a couple of days ago, from the overnights to the close, there was about a 45-cent swing in, in, in soybeans. There was about a 20-cent swing in corn, I mean, just one way or the other. So seeing a lot of volatility, a lot of stuff that you've been talking about, um, when we're looking at this so we take a look at some of these major crops and especially as we start heading into this you know the crop mix for the year i mean that's the biggest conversation i've heard anyone have right now is like i don't know what i'm going to plant because everything seems like it's the safe bet so i guess as you take a look at these commodity marketplaces and these big huge volatile swings on the inner day and in, in the weeks the week uh, of volatility and stuff that we look at i mean where where where's that where's that resistance level at and then What's it going to take to get over that hump that that we uh, that we see happening? Well, remember, right when now? you're dealing with carryouts that are now in corn, you know, in the low one billion carryout range, and you're dealing with soybean carryouts in the low one hundred million carryout range, you know, a small shift in your view of that is a dramatic shift in the price because we're dealing with, you know. I mean, so if you go from 3.3 billion to three, who cares? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. But if you go from 1.3 to 1.1, it matters a great deal. So understand that the volatility is a function of that we're so tight that, you know, just a little lift, you know, move one way or the other, and it can have a difference of 50 cents each way. So that's going to be here to stay. Um, 
I would think that if you if you if we're thinking through what what we're looking at here, we're going to have a a, a a warm, dry spring, which means we're going to get out planting early. We're going to get planting done fast, and that typically would mean that the market's going to view that as a bearish start to the growing season. The USDA, I think, comes out today or tomorrow with their outlook. You know, where they where they project trend line yields, they project what they think the acres are going to be. They come up with some widget board that determines what they think demand's going to be. And what they typically say is everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Every year, everything's going to be fine. We have no worries. Everything's going to be fine. Best year ever. Yeah. Every year is the best year ever. Everything's yeah. going to be fine. Uh, and, and so, you know, on the margin, you know, that, that keeps people from getting more bullish. Um, and then we get the planting and tenders report at the end of March. Who knows what they're going to say? You know, no one really knows it, but they're going to, that's will come out. And so, you know, South America's harvesting soybeans and those so that harvest is going to pick up pace and more of those supplies are going to be available. So, you know, and, and, and of course, because corn is second crop corn is being planted 30 days late, you know, we're not going to reach pollination until April and May this year instead of March and April. So we're not really going to have a weather function for second crop corn until let's say late March, right? So we have this period where it's just Chinese demand really that can drive shifts in the marketplace right now. And I think everyone's comfortable that we kind of know what it is. We've kind of factored it in for now. And you know, maybe there's a surprise, maybe there is, but, but I don't think that's enough. I think we need to get to either second crop corn, pollination, April, May in Brazil, that could cause a catalyst for corn to break out of this 550 area that's been having a hard time going through. Um, or we just need to get into the drought cycle uh, in the U.S. as we get into you know June and we start looking at the weather maps and the drought maps and the drought Palmer drought index and and the heat and go oh my and the crop conditions and go oh my gosh this is this is trouble you know I think that's that's I'm I'm thinking at this I'm thinking April is probably a time at least for corn and certainly winter wheat coming out of dormancy hot dry spring after some very difficult winter cold conditions, both here and Russia, it's, it's really a time where we would expect markets to wake up again and maybe start to have reasons to take these markets to another level. In the meantime, we think it could be a lot of back and forth trading. Winter wheat can work higher. We think winter wheat can work higher and maybe that can drag the corn market up a little, but that's not going to be enough to get corn over six. You're going to need something for corn to move up. But winter wheat can, can go much higher. And we've been talking about maybe winter wheat having an outperformance here because of different drivers for winter wheat. But for corn and soybeans, we just think it's uh, going to be a kind of back and forth trade, at least into the into mid-late March. That's what we think. So, All right. So let's talk about uh, the cattle market and hog market real quick. Hog market has been on the tear. They, they, every day seems to be a, a new day for them. Same way we're starting to see some, some real movement in the cattle market, too. Um, Talk about those two marketplaces and what you see happening there. Well, the market's all fired up that you know we're going to get uh, food service back online and get all that demand for meat back online, and we're going to the to a grilling season, and so so we're getting this you know seasonal demand. Um, but we but at least for for hogs, we would be very cautious. The uh, the Chinese imports of pork fell off a cliff in the month of January. Uh, relative to last year. Now, they're still high, but relative to last year, they fell off dramatically. And it's been our th working thesis that, you know, they're just going to buy a whole lot less from us this year. Now, uh, but, the, but the one saving grace, at least for the first half of the year, is that cold storage of pork is at very, very low levels. So as the Chinese come off their exports, 
we are going to take though that supply and build up our cold storage back up again. So that can keep the market elevated during a period that there's optimism that increased food service demand is going to come in. So we think prices can be okay and be well supported, let's say into, into April. But once we get the cold storage filled up uh, and, and pour cold storage back up and the Chinese keep their exports down year over year, you know, we worry about an oversupply kicking in in uh, the hog market into the summer and into the fall. So, you know, we think there could be a great long-term cash selling opportunity for hog producers. Um, our smart money algorithm is starting to show some accelerated selling that could trigger an important sell signal here soon. So we, we've been actually gearing up our uh, hog producers to get ready to make some cash sales and to get some long-term hedging in place. And we've been warning about that in our, in our subscriber-based report. So, uh, you know, and cattle, I would, I would, I would feel uh, is cattle's a little different. We don't really rely on the export market for cattle. Um, we rely on the domestic market. So the cattle market can hold up better because we don't, we're not so reliant on selling all this, uh, you know, beef to the Chinese, but, um, but at the same time, you know, supplies look pretty strong to us uh, once we get past the springtime. And so once again, we think there could be a, a seasonal cash selling opportunity. The, the bigger picture here is that we're worried about high feed prices causing a lack of economics on the, on the, for the livestock producer. And it's going to force them into liquidating the herd later this year and, off, and putting extra supplies on the market. So that's why we think this spring could offer a really good cash selling opportunity ahead of that herd liquidation cycle later this year. Yep. Well, good stuff, Sean. There's plenty of stuff going on, a million things moving in a million different directions. We've been watching cotton here, and cotton's been on a surge. Um, it's, I mean, really, like we've talked about last time, we talked about cotton. It's, you know, it's the it's the child labor laws that that the uh, EU and, and the uh, U.S. marketplaces are are trying to trying to avoid. So China's kind of stuck out there, uh, trying to having to buy what we've got so they can so they can produce what we need to what we want from them. You start looking at dairy, dairy milk, you know, class three, you know, you start looking at uh, where it's been hovering between, you know, 1620, 1650, kind of been bounced around that area a little bit. Not not an incredible high price by any means, but it's still still in a profitable range for, for a lot of producers. So when you look at the cotton market and those kind of uh, that dairy market and those kind of where they're at as far as uh, kind of things are moving forward, what's your thoughts on those two? You know, I mean, the cotton market is just a once-in-a-lifetime situation. We've never seen this forced buying like this, where they have to buy. I mean, they have to buy. It, it, they have to buy. And so it's just been driving the market higher. But it is going – and so what the market is saying is we want to get more acres. We want to get more cotton acres. And so uh, we think once the market believes it has secured higher acres – because remember, originally, at the late last year, you know, it was looking like cotton was going to give up a lot of acres, and now it's going to be gaining acres. So – um, once it gets that, uh, you know, the market could probably have a healthy correction, uh, thinking that we're going to have much larger production next year. And I don't, we, we're not looking at Chinese exports being any larger. We just see them being what they have been. So larger production against similar exports means more excess. So the market will probably, and if we get off to a, a good start to the planting season, which we think we will, you know, that'd be a reason for the cotton market to, let's say, top out in March. Um, you know, that's typically a month that the cotton market likes to top out for those reasons. So, you know, we think we could still head up, you know, in the, into the mid nineties here before we get there, um, the way it looks to us. And, and then after that, there could be a great, great opportunity for, you know, mid nineties is an awfully, awfully good price for cotton. And then, 
uh, you know, we think there could be a good opportunity for cotton producers to, uh, to make some cash sales and, and lock in an extremely profitable price for them. So um, uh, in terms of dairy, dairy production is just going through the roof. Uh, Record-setting production right now in the U.S. because of last year's the government uh, purchases of cheese pumped up the class three price to twenty plus and made you know made made dairy producers very very profitable and so now uh, but but now it looks like the government is starting to back away they're still buying but they're backing away as production is surging so so the rubber is this can food service demand picking up in the back half of the year uh, pick up enough to take over the government's role and to handle all this extra production. We don't think it can. It's not an old, because, you know, so, so we think that the, that the, uh, the dairy market is kind of on a, a gradual decline here. Uh, you know, it's, we, we don't see any way that the market can head higher unless the government just keeps purchasing through the rest of the year. Because if the government's purchasing and we get food service purchasing back on, then we can have enough demand to overcome this increased production. You know, I don't know how to forecast what the government's going to do, Casey. I wish I could. I wish I could. I, I, yeah. You know, every time I send a text to, uh, to President Biden, you know, I, 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 I don't get a response. Yeah, so, you mean both. But, but I'm, we're assuming they're going to take a lesser and lesser role. That may be right or may be wrong. So we would be on the defensive here with, we'd be looking at any time the government comes in and guns the price higher like they do periodically when they come in and buy we would lose that as an opportunity to sell every time we see that because we think it's a law of diminishing returns over time. So be careful in the dairy market because it's possible they could just walk, completely walk away. And if that happens, there's no way that food service will pick up the slack given the production we're seeing. So, well, you got, you got Cory Booker going to be on the House or the, uh, the uh, yeah, what's the House? Yeah, the House Ag Committee. So, I mean, he's got his, his vast knowledge of, of ag and how that whole thing works together is going to be <laughs> mind blowing. So, I'm, I'm jacked. It's going to work out great for everybody. So, so yeah. <laughs> good yeah. times. Good times ahead, I can tell you that. Yeah, good times ahead and, and yeah. proactive planning. Yeah, yep. absolutely. All right, buddy. Well, hey, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about Hackett Financial, what you guys do there, and how you can help their operation. What's the best way to do it? Uh, Hackett uh, Advisors.com is our website, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, Advisors.com. All kinds of information, sample reports that the people could take a look at to see if what we're doing might be of value to your listeners. Right on. You kind of sound like my intro there, almost <laughs> the start there, bud. <laughs> you're, 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 you're turning viral with your uh, with your slurred speech. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff, Sean. All right, Sean. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you can find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Pat podcast as well as the moving iron blog also go to moving that's where you're going to find all the information about anything that has to do with moving iron the podcast the blogs also the moving iron summit coming up september 15th through the 17th sean's going to be there he's going to give a uh, a talk about what we see happening in uh the coming year and sean and i did do a uh, a if you haven't listened to it yet a two-part series with dr valentina zarkova about uh solar activity and what we see happening here at the grand solar minimum so if you haven't had chance to check that out go to my youtube channel moving iron podcast youtube channel you can watch the video there or just anywhere you find podcasts parts one and two so sean that was a great conversation we had with dr valentina zarkova i learned a lot more than i knew and uh what was your what was your takeaway from that from that uh 
the series. Yeah, here. I mean, it, it's nothing like hearing somebody who's that trained and that smart. And the, I mean, actually, has done studies and understands the work. I mean, I know how to look at the work and take the data and, and, and use it to come up with conclusions, but she actually does the work. I mean, she actually understands these fancy equations and this high differential equations. And I mean, you know, I mean, it was just, I learned so much more than I knew before, just seeing it through her eyes that I really think anyone that has any interest in, in, in looking how these factors have impacted the weather long-term that she has done studies on. It's just fascinating. It also gives you an insight of what might be, you know, what, what, what might be ahead looking forward. And so it's just, um, it's just a great learning curve for, especially for, for someone. And, and I think that it, it was done in a way that even someone who has known nothing about the topic can follow enough that they can get a lot out of it. Like we tried to keep it yeah. to a level that is still understandable by those that want to learn. Yep. So. Yep. I, I, I watched it. I didn't, and I'm, I'm no, I'm no scientist by anyone's stretch of anyone's imagination. So, and I walked away understanding what was going on. So there is a, there's a great thing there. If what she's talking about happens, and if what Sean has been talking about what happens, what we've seen here, this this one little weak little burst of cold air, um, is is merely the 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 smallest molecule of the tip of the iceberg of, of what's coming our way. So. Definitely go out and watch that, listen to that, and uh, and take that information in. You're going to learn something, and uh, it might help you understand what we see coming down the way here. So um, with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's move some art, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here